Hello and welcome to a CM Murray podcast on consulting with your employees on changing their terms and conditions of employment. I'm Sarah Chilton, a partner at CM Murray, and I'm joined by my partner at CM Murray, David Fisher. And so what we're going to talk about today is how you as an employer might go about practically changing the terms and conditions of your employees. We're recording this in the middle of lockdown in the UK, um, which has been brought on by the coronavirus crisis, where a lot of employers are facing difficult economic decisions as to whether or not they can maintain their workforce or reduce the hours of work that some of their workers are doing during this time. And so a lot of people have been asking us questions about, you know, if they want to reduce the hours of work that their employees are doing on a weekly or, or daily basis, how do they actually go about securing that in a way that's lawful and um, that mitigates their risk of claims from employees so far as possible, but also that um, helps to maintain the culture of the work environment and maintain the loyalty of the staff. So really looking about doing that in a way that's, um, you know, collaborative and collegiate with the employees. And so there's a number of different working arrangements that people might be looking at during this time. Uh, so people might be looking at doing 80% working arrangements. That's quite common. We saw that a lot in the 2008 to 2013 financial crisis, where people effectively uh, do four day weeks and they get paid 80% of their pay to do that. Um, other alternatives are nine day fortnights, which often provide a bit more flexibility around when someone might take that day off. Um, other people might do shortened days, people might drop to 60%, 70% of work and pay, um, but there might be other schemes as well that people want to put in place. So uh, people might be driven by employee demand, for example, for split shifts, because at the moment, a number of people will be faced with having children at home when they would otherwise normally be at school. And looking after those children might involve some sort of reassessment of the normal working relationship and the hours that those employees are willing to work. There's also at furlough, which is the government's job retention scheme, which we'll mention briefly as we go through. So really what we're going to talk about is, you know, if you want to impose any of these um, plans or changes on your workforce, how do you go about getting the agreement to do that? And how do you mitigate the risk of something going wrong? Um, so David, where would you start? So if you're thinking about uh, working arrangements or new working arrangements, what's the first thing you would think about doing before you sort of send out letters about changing people's contracts of employment? Okay, thanks, sir. Um, I mean, I think first of all, it's just important to recognise that what you have um, in place uh, currently with your employees is, is going to be something that's contractually binding, which means that you can't just go ahead and change um, the existing arrangements. Um, uh, usually without getting uh, agreement in some way from the employees. So there's a common misconception um, amongst uh, many employers that uh, particularly if you have some sort of general clause in your employment contract that says you reserve the right to change the terms and conditions of employment, that you can just rely on that uh, and go ahead and make um, significant changes to employees' terms and conditions um, without you know, any discussion or without actually getting the employees uh, you know, agreement to that. Uh, and, it, and it's important to recognise that there are processes that will need to be followed. Um, otherwise, um, you run the risk of uh, not only just upsetting the employees, but you know, being on the receiving end of, um, of legal claims um, as a result. Um, so you know, as, as a first step, we'd normally say you ought to be aiming to have some sort of um, discussion with the employees in, in, in general. In normal times, this would um, usually involve 
perhaps getting the employees together for some sort of uh, you know, group discussion, uh, announcement about what the situation is and what you're you know, generally um, hoping and intending uh, to do, just to sort of set the scene and try to get people's understanding of the situation that you're in to begin with. Uh, and then to follow that up in, in writing with a sort of letter or email um, to each of the employees, explaining in more detail about what it is that you're um, hoping to do, setting out, as I say, the circumstances and the particular arrangements that you're thinking of putting in place and seeking to get their um, agreement to do that. Um, uh, having taken that step, um, it would then be prudent to have discussions with each individual uh, employee to understand um, any concerns they might have, um, to you know, be able to share on an individual basis what it's going to mean um, to that person, hopefully um, through that consultation process to get their agreement to what it is that you're uh, proposing to do. Um, and if they've got any uh, you know, objections to understand what those are, or perhaps to listen to some alternative arrangements. So it may be that you go in as an employer thinking that uh, uh, a particular arrangement will work best and that you're, you're wanting to introduce that uh, for everyone. Let's just say that you want to you know, get everyone to work uh, you know, four days instead of five. It might be that some people um, uh, you know, think there's an alternative way of doing things that might be uh, possible and, and in fact better. Um, or they might have particular circumstances that mean that the arrangements you're proposing can be more difficult for them and there's an, a different way of doing things that might work better. So all of those sorts of things should come out hopefully uh, in the course of those uh, discussions. Um, and the idea is of course that you're looking to get the agreement of um, each individual um, to what you are uh, proposing uh, and following on from that um, you would then normally um, right to confirm uh, what's been agreed and, and effectively what the change to the terms and conditions, conditions of employment is going forwards for you know, whatever period of time um, it might be. Um, is there a time within which you need to do that or is there a, a sort of minimum time period so let's say can you do that within three days or would you have to give those employees a particular period of time to think about what you've put to them? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's going to depend on the particular circumstances, but you know, the employer has to be reasonable about this and, and can't just um, uh, you know, announce to, uh, to the employees sort of one morning that it wants to introduce particular changes and, and you know, hope to get all of that agreed in, in one or two days because um, it's going to take a little bit of time um, to start, you know, have, those, have those discussions and give people the opportunity to, to, you know, to think about it because it is, you know, for a lot of people going to be, quite a significant change if you're looking at um, taking away you know a fair chunk of someone's um, uh, income for a period of time or if you're looking at um, upsetting their normal working arrangements that can have quite a you know, significant knock-on effect uh, in their in their own sort of home lives um, so um, yeah, you need to allow a, a you know, uh, a generous enough period of time for those sorts of discussions to be able to take place um, properly and ideally employers will sort of you know think ahead look ahead um, and you know not expect just to be able to get all of this sort of sewn up in, uh, in 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 one or two days it's going to take a little bit longer than that to get everything done properly and so that's based on 
when we're talking about individually consulting with employees um, and I'll just add on something about furlough and then we'll talk about when there might be different rules that might be applicable depending on how many people you might be doing with so um, I suppose what employers should not get confused by or forget is that when they're seeking to furlough staff under the coronavirus job retention scheme which was announced by the UK government and um, what they are planning to do is reduce that person's pay and change it so that during the period of furlough that person doesn't work. So to be eligible for that scheme, the staff can't get, do any work for the employer unless it's volunteer work, um, which is going to be in very, very limited circumstances. So for example, if the organisation's already got a voluntary arm and they can redeploy people to genuinely do proper volunteer work, that might work. But in most cases, I think that's going to mean actually volunteering for a different entity who are a voluntary organisation and someone can also do training during the period of furlough and they need to be paid the minimum wage for any time spent training but generally the the change to the term will be you, your pay will be reducing and you won't be doing any work for us and they're the two crucial aspects there might be other changes you might want to think about related to pensions and benefits that you should also be documenting um, but it's the same concept so you know you are changing the contractual terms so just because hmrc have said you can furlough staff and claim money back doesn't mean that you don't need their consent to do it and in fact what the furlough guidance and regulations say is that you should uh, record the agreement in writing so it's important to do that and the change to the pay will either be that you will be paying the employee 80 percent of their normal basic wage or up to a maximum of 2,500. So for employees over a certain amount of money per year, they will get capped out at 2,500. As an employer, you can choose to top that up either to 100% of normal pay or by any amount that you like, but um, you aren't going to get that back from the government. And that's all a subject of agreement and negotiation between the employee and the employer. But you know, these, uh, points that we're discussing here about the steps you need to take so the steps that you outlined david about you know um meeting with people and writing to people apply equally to changing terms to furlough as they do to changing terms to someone working part-time um so don't be sort of um misled by the the things that you read about furlough that effectively sometimes imply that you might be able to unilaterally furlough people you do still need to get that consent and agreement and it's important particularly when it comes to deducting pay so a lot of the arrangements that we'll discuss and that people will be thinking about doing at the moment do involve reduction of pay to some degree and aside from getting people's agreement to change their contractual terms there is another uh, issue that arises in employment law in the uk which is around deduction of wages and employees can get claims against their employer if the employer deducts their pay so i.e that would also mean doesn't pay them their full normal pay every pay period so let's say every month the employee can have a right to recover that money so it's really important that employers get written consent from employees about these deductions before they make the deductions and um, to the pay that's, that's a very good point sarah and, and um the, the other things i suppose to think about for employers are just the other potential consequences of not doing this process properly or just going ahead and, and making these types of substantial changes um, to people's terms and terms of employment, you know, without without consent, and, and if you know, the employer just goes ahead and unilaterally changes uh, the terms, let's say by you know particularly by cutting pay, then certainly as you say, there's the the potential of, of those claims for deductions from wages. There's also the possibility that the um, uh, employee could 
um, what's called sort of stand on the contract and say, well, I, I just don't accept this change. Um, I'm reserving my rights and, and, and you know, potentially uh, you know, lodging a, a claim in the courts for um, uh, things that they are you know, losing out on as a result, or might even um, uh, take the drastic step of um, saying that it amounts to constructive dismissal, that the employee um, has you know, suffered a, a substantial change to the terms and conditions of employment. That's a breach of trust and confidence by the employer. Um, and, and the employee is just left in a position where they just feel they can't sort of carry on. Now, I mean, that, that might be less likely in the sort of current time where people are particularly concerned about their sort of job security and, and, and you know, chances of getting another job and so on. But it is you know, normally substantial risk of the employer that just sort of going ahead and bulldozing their way through without following the proper steps um, could certainly leave the employees with a, a number of complaints um, that they might throw back at the employer. And I suppose if someone was to take that, which might seem quite a drastic step, but people might do it, of claiming constructive dismissal, and then they don't get a job for quite a long time, the employer may be liable for the compensation uh, at the, you know, a longer for a longer period than they might otherwise. So, I mean, normally compensation is calculated on the basis of for however long that employee is out of work, the employer may be liable to effectively make good those losses. But if that employee is out of work for a lot longer because of the current climate, then that employer might find themselves liable for that in increased level of compensation. So, yeah, not without risk. Um, so, you know, the the process that you set out for um, looking at the individual consultations so consulting with the employees and then writing to them and then giving them that opportunity to think about things propose questions and propose difference uh, different structures to the changes and um, makes a lot of sense is there a different um, process that one that an employer needs to follow if there are large numbers of employees who may be having their terms changed all at the same time yeah, so, so this is where um, the law around um, collective consultation comes into play. And it's, it's an area that um, we see uh, usually where there are large scale redundancies planned. And so you know, a lot of employers are be, you know, familiar with the, the idea that if they're proposing to make redundancies on a, on a fairly large scale, there's a, a period of consultation on a collective basis, which needs to be carried out. Um, but it, it it can also apply um, where the employer is proposing to make changes to terms and conditions that could result in contracts being brought to an end, even if the employer isn't intending to sort of make redundancies in the sense that it doesn't want to you know, lose staff, it doesn't want to, to make redundancy dismissals in the normal way. Um, but where you know where there are changes being proposed to, and uh, you know, particularly to, to to rates of pay and, and you know, substantial changes uh, of that nature, there's always the possibility that um, the employees will um, refuse to agree to those changes, so that a sort of consensual variation isn't possible, and that as a result of that, the employer might decide that it's only you know, only way forward is, is either to make redundancies in the normal way or um, would be to um, bring the existing terms of employment to an end and um, offer to uh, re-engage the employees on the reduced level of pay. And that's a, a sort of common way of 
bringing about changes to terms of employment where consensual agreement can't be reached. But if the employer is potentially going to have to do that, um, even if it's hopefully going to rehire all the employees, it is still technically dismissing them first. And that brings the law on collective consultation uh, into play. And what the law says in this area is that if you're um, proposing, uh, if the employer is proposing to dismiss, um, so in this manner, um, 20 or more employees at one establishment within a period of 90 days or less, there needs to be some form of collective consultation. And that collective consultation is um, in, in addition to this sort of consultation we spoke about with individual employees. And what it involves is the employer having to um, provide information and have discussions with um, either a recognised trade union, if there is one, for that uh, particular um, place of work for that employer, or um, to have the consultation discussions with uh, representatives that are elected by the employees. So what that potentially means is that um, where these sorts of proposals are in play, um, the employer will have to invite um, the employees to um, choose some representatives from amongst their, their number so that there can be discussions between the employer and those representatives about what they're planning to do and the impact that it might have uh, and so on. Um, and, and this is an important consideration because if the employer doesn't do this um, and ends up having to, to sort of you know, make these make these changes by by forcing them through by dismissing employees and then offering to re-engage them, um, there are quite substantial penalties um, that the employer might have to pay. It may have to end up paying what are called protective awards to to all of the employees uh, affected. Um, now this consultation period depends on um, how many uh, employees are, are potentially going to be affected. So I say it only kicks in where you've got 20 or more uh, potential dismissals within 90 days uh, or less at one establishment. But if the number of, if the number of proposed um, dismissals in this way is at least 20, but no more than 99, it requires uh, at least a 30 day consultation period before any of these dismissals can take effect. And if there are 100 or more potential dismissals um, at the establishment within 90 days or less, um, it's going to require a 45-day consultation period. So what that means is that employers have to factor this in. Um, they have to factor the timeline in, um, into, in, into the process. So they can't just introduce changes necessarily very quickly. Um, they have to bear in mind that there is this minimum period of consultation which has to be allowed for uh, possibly before all these changes could uh, could take effect. Um, as I mentioned, these sort of protective awards could be quite costly, um, potentially up to 90 days um, pay for each employee who is affected. So if we're talking about you know a, a large enough workforce, um, then that's a very substantial cost to the employer for getting this wrong at a time when it is particularly keen to um, reduce the cost of, of employing people. Um, so it's very important that all of this is sort of taken into account and, uh, and followed through properly. Otherwise, as I say, it could be a very expensive mistake on, on top of um, you know, all the other issues that flow of, of, of not you know, taking, taking individual consultation steps properly.
And it's, it's worth just mentioning in case anyone um, out there is thinking, well, we'll do that and then we won't do the other uh, thing that you set out earlier but they, they do not substitute for one another so if you are in the category of 20 or more employees you must go through both a collective consultation and also you need to individually consult with those employees as well uh, for the reasons yeah. that we had out before and um, what about though I mean I think there are a number of employers now who will be thinking I need to furlough people now to keep the business alive I cannot afford to wait 45 days before these changes can take effect and I need to furlough a huge number of people. And I also can't afford to pay 90 days protective award. Um, there is a defense to the collective consultation if you don't do it, a special circumstances defense. But, you know, I don't think we have much clarity as to whether or not having to furlough because of coronavirus would necessarily fall into that or not. Um, I know that there has been case law in the past that said that a sudden disaster, so a physical or financial disaster, um, did constitute a special circumstances defence, but that also insolvency didn't uh, when it was because the business gradually got run down or gradually became insolvent. I mean, what do you think employers should be thinking about in that context? It's a very good point, sir. I mean, you know, obviously we were aware that um, the following scheme has been taken up by a you know, vast number of employers affecting a you know, huge amount of, a huge number of employees. Um, and uh, certainly, um, you know, anecdotally, I'm not aware of uh, employers trying to go through collective consultation processes before, um, you know, before furloughing. Maybe that they've, they've, you know, had discussions with the individuals, but to do this on a on, on a large scale basis um, is, is is not something that seems to have been um, been happening. Um, and, and it may well be that the the idea is that if you um, uh, you uh, seek to agree the, uh, the furlough with the individual employees uh, as a first uh, you know, as a first step um, and if you don't get that agreement you're not necessarily then looking to um, impose uh, changes you're not necessarily looking to have to uh, you know ultimately dismiss and then possibly offer to re-engage people but it's almost like a first step in the process um, and I could see that being argued for one thing potentially that if you, uh, you know, you have these further discussions, hopefully they are, you know, all agreed to by the individuals, uh, individual employees. Um, if not, you, you then move into the next stage and, and perhaps then uh, think about the, the possibility of having to have collective consultation in order to impose, um, you know, other longer term sort of changes. Um, but you know, as with as with a lot that is uh, has obviously been been happening over the course of the last few weeks, um, this is this is sort of groundbreaking stuff in lots of ways. It's very difficult to tell um, exactly how things are going to move forward and and on what impact it's all going to have. So we're still sort of you know feeding our way through a lot of this, um, but you know, no no doubt it's going to become um, you know more and more significant. We we haven't seen um, large scale redundancies. Um, uh, at this sort of level for you know for, for quite a, a number of years um but no doubt it's going to be uh, far more of a factor you know going forwards over the course of the, the next few months exactly that's right and and in terms of just before we sort of wrap up and um, it's probably worth just mentioning a couple of points about you know how long these measures might last for so when an employer seeks to change terms and conditions um, they don't have to do that on a permanent basis. They can do it on a temporary basis. So they can sort of say to the employees, this will last for three months or this will last for six months. 
um, and I suppose they can also keep things under review. So they could have a six month period and then they could, in fact, at the end of three months, if business is you know, getting back to normal, they could uh, change those terms again to increase the number of hours, for example, that someone works a week. And that's where I think you might see you know, businesses getting more work and wanting more people working, but maybe not being able to go back up to full time. And they might move from say 80% to 90% or 70% to 90% or something like that. So, um, but do they need to go through a consultation every time they want to vary the varied terms? Mm. Um, it, it's, it's going to depend on what the, um, on, on what the variation is going to be. Um, and, um, I think that if you've agreed up front a particular um, change, um, say to 80%, um, and then it's decided that there has to be a further change downwards, if you like, to reduce uh, individuals' pay even further, um, then unless unless you've had some prior agreement to that, unless that was sort of built into to the process before, on the face of it they would have to consult again because they are making a further change to the employee's detriment i think if if, if the change were going the other way and they were they were looking to um to, to increase the pay say from 80 back up to 90 percent it's probably less of an issue mm -hmm. um but there's still some other factors that would come into it i think if you know if people have adjusted to to working particular uh in, in particular ways particular days or or, or hours um without there having been some stopgap put on that and then the employer's looking to, to to change it then technically there is still a need to have some sort of discussion with the with the individual because you are still you know changing terms and not everyone will necessarily you know be able to accept um the, the change that's being imposed so it's going to depend on the circumstances to some degree but, but perhaps slightly less um imposing than, than the initial changes that the employer seeks to make yeah that makes sense uh, yeah, not everyone will necessarily want to go back up um, immediately if they've rearranged other things in their lives to accommodate their new working arrangements, as you say, particularly if schools are not back to normal at that mm, point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think um, that brings us to the end of our discussion. Uh, we hope it has been helpful for you to just run through the basics of consulting with employees to change terms and conditions, including in relation to furlough and both collectively and individually. If you have any questions about any of the topics that we have discussed, then do get in touch with either David or me or with CM Murray generally, either your usual contact or you can email info at cm-murray.com. Our contact details will be in the podcast notes um, and do get in touch with anything we can help you with. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you.